Section 22 of Lives of the Ancient Philosophers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maya. Lives of the Ancient Philosophers by François Fenelon. Aristotle. Born the first year of the 91st Olympiad, died the third year of the 114th aged 63 years. Aristotle was one of the most illustrious philosophers of antiquity, and his name is to this day celebrated in all schools. He was the son of Nicomachus, physician and friend of Armintas, king of Macedon and descended from Macaon, grandson of Esculapius. He was born in the first year of the 91st Olympiad at Stagira, a city of Macedonia. He lost his father and mother in the early part of his infancy, and was greatly neglected by those who had the charge of his education. Hence part of his youth was passed in libertinism and debauchery, in which he spent almost all his fortune. He first took up arms, but as that profession was not agreeable to his inclinations, he went to Delphos to consult the oracle, to know to what he should apply himself. The oracle ordered him to go to Athens and study philosophy. He was then in his eighteenth year. He studied during twenty years in the academy under Plato, and as he had already dissipated all his property, he was obliged for subsistence to trade in certain drugs, which he himself sold in Athens. Aristotle ate little and slept still less. He had so great a passion for study that to resist the heaviness of sleep, he always put a copper basin by his bedside, and when he lay down, he extended one of his hands which held a ball of iron over it, so that when he was inclined to sleep, the ball fell into the basin, and awoke him directly. Laertius says he had a shrill voice, small eyes, and his slender legs, and that he always dressed magnificently. Aristotle was possessed of keen wit, and easily understood the most difficult questions. He was not long before he became clever in the school of Plato, and distinguished himself above all the other academicians. They decided no questions in the academy without consulting him, though he did not always coincide with Plato. All the other disciples regarded him as an extraordinary genius. Some even followed his opinion to the prejudice of those of their master. Aristotle having withdrawn himself from the academy, Plato felt some resentment, and could not help treating him as a rebel complaining that his pupil had resisted against him as a young colt kicks against its mother 
the athenians sent aristotle as their ambassador to king philip father of alexander the great the affairs of the athenians detained him some time in macedonia and on his return he found xenocrates had been elected to instruct in the academy when aristotle saw that this place was filled he said that he should be ashamed if he remained silent when xenocrates spoke he instituted a new sect and taught a different doctrine to that which he had learned from plato his master the great reputation aristotle had acquired by excelling in all the sciences and particularly in philosophy and politics made philip king of macedon wish to have him as preceptor to his son alexander who was at that time fourteen years of age aristotle accepted this trust and lived eight years with alexander to whom he taught as plutarch relates certain secret knowledge which he communicated to no other person the study of philosophy had not rendered aristotle austere he applied himself to business and had a great share in all that passed during his residence at the court of macedonia king philip through respect for him rebuilt stagira the country of this philosopher which had been destroyed during the wars and restored the inhabitants some of whom had been made slaves and the others had fled aristotle after leaving alexander came to athens where he was well received because king philip through steam for him had granted many favors to the athenians he chose a place in the lyceum with beautiful walks it was there he established his new school and because he generally taught his pupils while walking with them his followers were known by the name of peripatetics the lyceum soon became highly celebrated on account of the great concourse of people who assembled from several places to hear aristotle whose reputation was spread through all greece alexander advised aristotle to apply himself to making experiments in physic he sent him a great number of huntsmen and fishermen to bring from all parts subjects for his observations and sent him eight hundred talents to pay the expenses he might incur in his pursuit it was at this time that aristotle published his books on physics and metaphysics alexander who had passed through asia heard them much spoken of this ambitious prince who wished to be in all things the greatest man in the world was angry that the science of aristotle was becoming common and showed his displeasure in a letter which he wrote in these terms alexander to aristotle 
you have not done right in publishing your book on speculative sciences because now we shall have nothing above others if what you have taught us in private is to be communicated to everyone else i wish you to understand that i should prefer being superior to others in higher matters to surpassing them in mere power aristotle to appease this prince replied that although he had brought this knowledge to light he had not published the method by which it was to be acquired meaning to say that he had wrapped his doctrines in so much mystery that nobody would ever be able to comprehend them aristotle did not always keep in alexander's favor he embroiled himself with him in consequence of having espoused with too much warmth the part of callisthenes the philosopher this callisthenes was the great nephew of aristotle son of his own niece aristotle had brought him up with alexander who always took an interest in his education when he quitted alexander he left to him this nephew to follow him in his expeditions and recommended him very particularly to his care callisthenes spoke with great freedom to the king towards whom his humour was not generally very complaisant it was callisthenes who prevented the macedonians from worshipping alexander as a god in the manner of the persians alexander who hated him on account of his inflexible temper found occasion to avenge himself by destroying him he involved him in the conspiracy of ermolaus the disciple of callisthenes and would not allow him to defend himself by some he said to have been exposed to lions by others that he was hanged and others assert that he expired by torture aristotle after the punishment of callisthenes always retained a lively resentment against alexander who on his side tried by all the means he could to vex aristotle he promoted xenocrates and sent him considerable presents aristotle entertained great jealousy of this philosopher some however accused him of having had a hand in the conspiracy of antipater and to have given him a hint towards the composition of that poison by which it is suspected that alexander perished aristotle though generally firm could not help occasionally letting some of his weaknesses appear some time after he had quitted the academy he retired to the court of hermias tyrant of atarnia it is not precisely known what attracted him there but it has been asserted that he had some gross libertinism for his object 
aristotle married the sister or as some say the concubine of this prince he allowed himself to be transported by his violent passion for this woman to the greatest degree of folly insomuch that he sacrificed to her as the athenians did to eleusinian ceres and composed verses in honour of hermias in gratitude to him for allowing this marriage aristotle divided his philosophy into theory and practice practical philosophy is that which either teaches us the proper way of regulating the operations of mind as logic or that which gives us maxims to conduct ourselves in civil life as morals and politics theoretical philosophy is that which discovers facts purely speculative as physics and metaphysics there are according to aristotle three principles of natural bodies privation matter and form to prove that privation ought to be considered in the rank of principle he says that the matter of which a thing is made must have the privation of the form of that thing for example the matter of which a table is made must have the privation of the form of a table that is to say before making a table the matter of which it is made must be not a table he did not consider privation as a principle in the composition of bodies but as an external property in their production so far as the production is a change by which the matter passes from the state it had not to that which it acquires as for example planks which pass from not being tables to be tables aristotle gives us two definitions of matter one of which is negative the first matter he says is that which is neither substance nor extension nor quality nor any other kind of existence so according to him the matter of wood is neither its extension nor its figure nor its color nor its solidity nor its weight nor its hardness nor its dryness nor its dampness nor its smell nor indeed any of the accidents of wood the other definition is affirmative and is as little satisfactory as the former he says that matter is that substance of which a body is composed and into which it finally resolves but of what substance the works of nature are composed we are still to learn this philosophy teaches that besides this original matter to complete a body another principle which he calls form 
is necessary some think that by this he means nothing but a certain disposition of parts others maintain that he means a substantial being really distinct from matter for example when in grinding corn a new substantial form is produced by which the corn becomes flour after having mixed the flour with water and kneaded it together that there is another substantial form superseded which is dough and in the same manner that finally this dough when baked gives rise to another form which we call bread this doctrine assigns a place to these forms in all natural bodies thus in a horse besides the bones the flesh the nerves the brains the blood which by circulating through the veins and arteries nourishes all parts and besides the animal spirits which are the principles of motion they allowed a substantial form which was the horse's soul they maintained that this pretended form was not drawn from the matter but from the power of matter meaning that it was quite distinct from matter of which it is neither part nor even modification aristotle holds that there are four elements and that all terrestrial bodies are formed from these earth water air and fire that earth and water are heavy tending to the center of the world air and fire are light and have an inclination to fly off from the center besides these four elements he has admitted a fifth of which the celestial bodies are composed and the movements of which are always circular he thought that above the air under the conclave of the moon there was a sphere of fire to which all flame rises as brooks and rivers flow into the sea aristotle maintained the infinite indivisibility of matter that the universe is full and that there is no void in nature that the world is eternal that the sun has always revolved as it does at present and that it will always do the same that one generation of men has always produced another without ever having a beginning if there had been a first man said he he must have been born without father or mother which is repugnant to nature he makes the same observation with respect to birds he says it is impossible that there could have been a first egg to give the beginning to birds or that there should have been a first bird which gave the beginning to eggs 
for a bird comes from an egg he reasoned in the same manner of other species or beings which people the world he maintained that the heavens are incorruptible and that although sublunary things are subject to dissolution nevertheless they do not perish but are liable to change places only and that of the remains of one thing another is formed and therefore the mass of the world always remains whole he says the earth is in the centre of the universe and that the first being moved the heavens round the earth by means of intelligences which are perpetually occupied in his movements that all which is at this time sea was formerly land and that what now is land was once sea the reason he gives for this opinion is that rivers and torrents are continually carrying with them sands and earth which make the shores advance by degrees and that the sea retires insensibly that consequently these changes from land to sea and sea to land will be formed after innumerable ages he adds that in several places which are a great way from the sea and even those which are very much elevated the sea in retiring has left some of its shells and in digging deep in the earth we sometimes find anchors and remains of vessels ovid attributes this same sentiment to pythagoras also aristotle asserts that these changes from sea into land and land into sea which are imperceptible and which take place during a long succession of time are in great part the cause of the history of former ages being lost he adds that there are other accidents likewise by which the arts are lost these accidents are either plagues wars earthquakes conflagrations or such other desolations as exterminate and destroy the inhabitants of a country unless some of them escape to deserts where they pass a savage life and where they give birth to other men who in process of time cultivate the land and discover or invent the arts and thus the same opinions are renewed and have been renewed times without number it is thus he maintains that notwithstanding these vicissitudes and revolutions the universe continues incorruptible aristotle examines carefully the great question of what can render men happy in this world he refutes the opinion of the voluptuous who made happiness to consist in corporeal pleasures he says that these pleasures are not of any duration and that they cause disgust weaken the body and debase the mind he rejects the opinion of the ambitious who place happiness in honours 
and who to arrive at it employ all kinds of unjust means he says that honor is in him who honors he adds that the ambitious are anxious to be honored for some virtue they wish people to think they possess that consequently felicity consists in virtue rather than in honors inasmuch as the latter do not depend upon ourselves he refutes in the last place the opinion of the avaricious who put their felicity in riches wealth he said is not desirable on its own account it makes him unhappy who has it because he is afraid to use it yet in order to render it really serviceable it is necessary to use it and not to estimate too highly what is in itself contemptible instead of which felicity ought to consist in something fixed which we ought to reserve and secure aristotle's opinion is that felicity consists in the most perfect exercise of the understanding he considers the most noble exercise of the understanding to be speculations concerning natural things the stars the heavens and principally the first being he observed nevertheless that it is impossible to be entirely happy without having a competency suited to a man's condition because without this we have not leisure to pursue or to practice virtue for example we cannot give pleasure to friends and to benefit those whom we love is one of the highest enjoyments he says happiness depends on three things the benefits of the mind as wisdom and prudence the benefits of the body as beauty health and strength and the benefits of fortune as riches and nobility he shows that virtue is not sufficient to render men happy and that wealth and health are absolutely necessary to happiness in this life for that even a wise man would be unhappy if he were to suffer and be in want of money he affirms on the other hand that vice is sufficient to render men miserable and though a man have great wealth and enjoy every advantage he can never be happy as long as he abandons himself to vice that the wise are not exempt from troubles but that they are comparatively light to them that vices and virtues are not incompatible that the same man for example may be very just and prudent though he may likewise be very intemperate he admits three kinds of friendship one of kindred 
another of inclination and the other of hospitality he says justly that the refinements of literature contribute greatly to produce virtue and ensure the greatest consolation to old age he admits like plato a supreme being to whom he attributes providence he maintains that all our ideas came originally from sense that a man born blind cannot have the conception of colors any more than a deaf one can of the notion of sound he also maintained in his politics that the monarchical state is the most perfect because in the others there are several who govern just the same as an army which is conducted by one able chief succeeds much better than that which is commanded by a number it is just the same he observes with the state whilst deputies or the principles of a republic employ their time in assembling and deliberating a monarch has already taken places and executed his designs the rulers of a republic do not mind ruining it provided they enrich themselves jealousies are entertained parties are formed and at last the republic cannot escape ruin instead of which in the monarchy the prince has other interests than those of his state so that it is always flourishing aristotle was asked one day what liars gained they gain he replied never to be believed not even when they speak the truth someone reproached him for giving alms to a wicked man it is not because he is wicked that i feel compassion for him he replied but because he is a man he often said to his friends and disciples that science was in comparison with the soul what the light was in comparison with the eyes and that the mellowness of the fruit made up for the bitterness of the root when he was angry with the athenians he reproached them with neglecting their laws and taking care of their corn telling them they were more anxious for good living than good conduct being asked what was the thing that was effaced the soonest it is gratitude he replied what is hope was the next question proposed to him it is he said the fancy of a man who dreams awake one day diogenes presented a fig to aristotle who being aware that if he refused it diogenes would have some joke ready took it and said laughing diogenes has at the same time lost his fig and the use he wished to make of it he said that there were three things necessary to children genius exercise and instruction when he was asked what difference there was between the wise and ignorant there is as much he answered as between the living and dead
he said that science was an ornament in prosperity and a refuge in adversity and that those who gave their children a good education were much more their fathers than those who had begotten them since one had only simply given them life but the other had given them the way of passing it happily beauty he allowed to be a recommendation infinitely stronger than any kind of learning someone asked him what disciples should do to turn the instruction they received to the greatest profit they ought always said he to endeavor to overtake those who are before them and never wait for those who come after them a certain man was boasting of being the citizen of an illustrious estate do not value yourself on that said aristotle but rather consider if you are worthy to be a member of such a famous city when he reflected on the life of man he said sometimes there are some who amass wealth with as much avidity as if they were to live forever others spend what they have as if they were to die ere the morrow being asked what a friend was he answered it is the same soul in two bodies how said one to him ought we to behave to our friends in the manner as we should wish them to behave with respect to us answered aristotle he often exclaimed ah good people there are no such things as friends in the world he was asked one day why handsome women were better liked than ugly aristotle replied you ask me the question of a blind man when he was asked what advantage he had experienced from his philosophy he replied that of being able to do voluntarily what others do through fear of the laws it is said that during his stay in athens he was very intimate with a learned jew who instructed him in the science and religion of the egyptians in which knowledge all the world at that time went even to egypt itself to be instructed aristotle after having taught in the lyceum thirteen years with great reputation was accused of impiety by Eurymedon, priest of Ceres. The remembrance of the treatment Socrates had experienced on a similar accusation terrified him so much that he determined to quit Athens directly and retire to Chalcis in Euboea some say that he died of grief there at not being able to understand the flux and reflux of the euripus 
others add that he precipitated himself into the sea and said in falling let eripus swallow me up since i cannot understand it and lastly it is asserted that he died of colic in the sixty-third year of his age two years after the death of alexander the great the inhabitants of stagira erected altars to him as a god aristotle made a will of which antipathes was executor he left a son named nicomachus and a daughter who was married to the grandson of demaratas king of lacedaemon End of section 22